0: Let's pray. Lord God, Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you again that uh, we can meet here and we can join together as a church body, that we can uh, worship and sing to you, celebrate who you are and what you've done for us, Lord God. Father, I pray for the kids as they go back, that you be with uh, them in their classrooms, that they would learn and grow in you. And I pray for us out here that uh, we would hear your word and, and we would learn and grow more in who You are, that You would guide my words as I speak and share to, to share Your truth and Your wisdom this morning. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this morning, we're continuing in our series uh, talking about what you think matters. And our topic for this morning is the Holy Spirit. And one of the first things I realized as I was preparing for this is that the Bible says a lot about the Holy Spirit. There's just a ton of stuff in there and some of it's really deep and some of it you have to uh, kind of understand some other deeper theological things to to understand some of the Holy Spirit stuff. So uh, there's just a, a lot. So we're not going to be able to cover everything with the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, I just want to pull out a couple bigger things to to hopefully give you a, just a good idea of who the Spirit Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does in our life, because there's a lot of just misinformation and misunderstanding uh, in our world about the Holy Spirit, Uh, a lot of stuff that's just not necessarily accurate to what the Bible teaches, and and I don't claim to know everything there is about the Holy Spirit and, and have the definitive answers to all the questions, but there are some things that the Bible is pretty clear about. And so I want to hit on just a few of those things this morning. And I'll remind you as well, if you have questions after we're done, feel free to message myself, message Pastor Doug, uh, pull us aside sometime. We'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, Any excuse to go get lunch is always good for me. Uh, But uh, we love this stuff, we enjoy this stuff, so you're, you're not bugging us if you ask us questions about things. We're... We're happy to sit down and talk to you, and especially after a message like this morning where uh, I can't cover everything in uh, deep detail. Uh, but hopefully, it'll give you some idea uh, of who the Holy Spirit is and just how important that is for our life today. So, anyway, I want to start where Pastor Doug left off last week. Uh, so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 1. If you have a uh, U version on your phone, you can pull up today's a live event that has all our passages for today on it. Uh, So if you remember from last week, uh, Pastor Doug was talking about eternal security. Uh, The idea that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior, our sins are, are cleansed, they're forgiven, and that's a forever thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take us out of God's hand. Our eternity is secure. Our hope of heaven is not a wishful hope. Maybe someday I'll get to go to heaven. But it is a sure hope and an encouraging hope that we will be with God someday. And Ephesians 1 is a classic passage to go to that illustrates that eternal security. Look at verse 13. In Him, that's in Jesus, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Jesus, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so Paul says there that when you heard about Jesus, when you heard the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, when you believed that, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that God gave you a gift. He gave you the Holy Spirit. At that moment, you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit later on that that gift of the Holy Spirit, it's God's presence with us until someday when we're in the presence of God. It's God's presence with us until someday we get to go and be in the presence of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but... Doug used this passage last week to illustrate eternal security that the Holy Spirit is a seal and a guarantee. And, and I think that, that word sealed there, it's a pretty cool word. The, the thing that Paul is alluding to is back in Paul's day, legal documents. They put a seal on it. They put a drop of wax and then the, the king or the governor, whoever the, the high-ranking official was, had a ring and on his ring was his emblem or his his logo, and in that drop of wax, he'd put his emblem, he'd put his mark on it, and that sealed the document, that made it official. The King has spoken. This is the way it is now. And so the Holy Spirit, that gift to us, is God putting His seal on us saying, the King has spoken. Your eternity is secure. But what I want to dig into this morning, that was last week's message, what I want to dig into this morning is that that gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's not that God says, here's your ticket, I'll see you in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is actually presently involved in our lives. And presently important in our lives as we go throughout our lives today. Again, God's presence with us until we're in God's presence someday. Flip with me to John 14. And we are going to do a fair amount of flipping today. Uh, but John 14, Jesus talks a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And just to give you the, the context of this passage, in the beginning of John 14, John, Jesus is speaking to His disciples. And He's telling them that He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that's going to connect them to God. He, as He is with them, is teaching them and showing them who God is and who God wants them to be. And that, that's pretty awesome for the disciples, right? You, you have this guy right in front of you, showing you who God is, teaching you who God is. But the, the reality, whether the disciples realized it or not at this point, is that they weren't going to have Jesus present physically in front of them for their entire life. That Jesus knew at some point He had to go to the cross to die. He was going to be resurrected and then He was going to ascend to heaven to be with God again someday. So He wouldn't be physically present with His disciples. So in the end of John 14, He he wants to encourage them. In the middle, He says there, when I leave, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He wants to encourage them that the teaching isn't going to end there, their help isn't going to end when Jesus is not physically with them anymore. Look at verse 25. Jesus says there, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That Jesus said, when I'm not physically present with you anymore, God's going to send you another Helper. He's going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to be with you and help you. And He says specifically to the disciples here, He's going to help you to remember all my teachings. that Everything that I've taught you and spoken to you, all that I've shown you about who God is. The Holy Spirit's going to help you to remember that. And actually, it wasn't until I was kind of studying this passage, this verse this week, that I realized just how awesome that verse is. Because think about it for a second. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but John wrote the Gospel of John. How did he remember all those things that Jesus did and said? He walked around with Jesus, spent three years with Jesus, but he wasn't writing the Gospel of John as they were walking along, it wasn't until years after Jesus had had gone back to heaven that John writes the Gospel of John, so how did he remember all those details? Honestly, I, I can't remember half the conversations I had yesterday. Like, How does John and the other Gospel writers do this? And this passage right here explains it to us. That the Holy Spirit in their life supernaturally reminded them of what Jesus had said and done so that they could teach others, so that they could write it down so that we can read it today. That the Holy Spirit was a present help to them. And now what we just read about remembering all Jesus' teachings, that was specific to the disciples. We're not going to have miraculous visions of Jesus walking on the earth or anything like that but that we can understand the general principle applies to us here that Jesus is or that the holy spirit is a present help to us that the holy spirit's desire is that we would know who Jesus is and learn and grow in him and who God wants us to be and so there's a lot of other stuff that the holy spirit helps us to do as well but i want us to take a step back here uh, before we get any deeper into what the Holy Spirit does, right, we've learned that the Holy Spirit is this gift given to us at the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus. That the Holy Spirit's a present help in our life. But before we go any further, we need to know who or what is the Holy Spirit. What What is this whole Holy Spirit thing about? Who is He? What What is He? And this is a question that's often been mistaught throughout all of church history. Uh, don't count me, quote me on the exact detail of this, but I think it was in 922 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. Again, I, I don't quote me on the exact details there. Uh, but I, I think it was there that there was a, a guy who was condemned for teaching that the Holy Spirit was just a, this vague power or force of God. There's been misunderstanding and discrepancy about just who or what the Holy Spirit is from the beginning of the church age. But I think the Bible is pretty clear on a couple things about who the Holy Spirit is. Flip with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And before we dig into that, I'm going to make two really huge theological points from this passage this morning, but I want you to know that I'm not making these points solely based on this passage. This is just the passage I chose to look at to illustrate these points. That These theological points are found throughout the Bible. It's a really bad idea if we take just one verse or one passage and build a whole theological point, a whole theological understanding, a whole doctrine around just one verse. And so I want you to know I'm not doing that this morning. They're, that these ideas I'm going to talk about are all throughout the Old and the New Testament, uh, but you'd probably be really bored if I took you through every passage today. And we'd, It's nice out there. We want to get outside at some point today. So, uh, I just picked this one because I, I think it's... It's an easy one to go to and it illustrates these two points pretty well. So in Acts chapter 5, look at verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, real quick, the background of what's going on here. The church is just getting started there's a group of believers that are meeting together in Jerusalem, and some of those believers are really poor, uh, really needy, uh, really just need some help. And so some of the believers that have more means, property, uh, material possessions, some of them start to sell some of their stuff and give the proceeds from that sale of property or whatever to the church so that the church can give to those poor believers who need help. Now, I understand neither then nor now is there any requirement or even expectation that you sell all your possessions and give the money to the church. These believers simply did it because they wanted to be generous. They wanted to help out their brothers in Christ who were really in need. And so some of these believers have started to do this and Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they see this happening and for whatever reason, whether it's guilt or whether they saw these other believers being praised for what they did, and they're like, man, we want some of that praise for ourselves as well, they decide to sell some of their property. And it says they sell the property and they give part of the proceeds to the church. Now what we're going to see, the issue isn't how much they gave. The issue is going to be that they either implied or explicitly stated that they had given all the proceeds to the church when in reality they had kept back some of them for themselves. Remember, there's no requirement or expectation that they give any of the money or any specific amount of the money. But the issue is going to be that they only gave part of it, but said they gave all of the proceeds. And so Peter confronts them in verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so Peter confronts them for their, their lying. And he said it's not even an issue that you lied to To me, to Peter, it's not even an issue that you lied to the church as much as the issue is you lied to God. And that's a whole nother sermon there about misrepresenting our service to God and being honest with God and how much we're giving and surrendering to Him. But what I want us to see in there is how Peter refers to the Holy Spirit in that passage. That at the end of verse 4, he says you lied to God. But in the middle of verse 3, he said you lied to the Holy Spirit. And so there's a a parallel there in Peter's statement. That he says lying to the Holy Spirit is the same as lying to God. And why is that? Because God and the Holy Spirit are the same. And again, I'm not just basing that on this passage that's throughout the Old and New Testament, there's all kinds of passages that talk about that. right? The, the idea of the Trinity, that we believe in one God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing we see about who the Holy Spirit is, is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit's not something that God created or or some other thing, the Holy Spirit is fully and completely God. The second big thing we see in this passage is that Peter says that they lied to the Holy Spirit. Now this is going to get a little deep for a minute, but it's going to have a huge application, so stick with me. Peter says they lied to the Holy Spirit. Now I said there's been a lot of Misinformation and misteachings about who the Holy Spirit is. And one of the big misteachings about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is just this vague power or just vague force in the universe. It's just the power of God. Some people maybe use the illustration it's just it's gravity. It's like gravity, it's just this force pulling you in a direction. Or maybe even some people teach that the Holy Spirit is like the force on Star Wars, right? If you're a Star Wars fan, just this power that goes throughout the universe and it's in and through all living beings. Just kind of this impersonal power. But think about what Peter said there. If I came in this morning and I told you yesterday I lied to gravity... Does that make any sense? I can't lie to gravity. I can't lie to a vague force. I can't lie to electricity. But if I came in this morning and said, yeah, I lied to Ty yesterday, I wouldn't lie to you, Ty. But if I said I did, right, that that would make sense. I can lie to Ty because Ty is a person. I can have a relationship with him. I can love Him. I can care for Him. I can lie to Him because He's a person. And so, it's really important when Peter says "You lied to the Holy Spirit, he's showing us the Holy Spirit is a personal, relational being. Just like God is a personal, relational being, the Holy Spirit's a personal, relational being. Not just a force or power but an actual person to have a relationship with. And again, I said that's deep, but here's the huge application to that. How you view the Holy Spirit as a person affects how you're going to relate to the Holy Spirit and how you're going to seek the Holy Spirit's help in your life. If the Holy Spirit is just an impersonal force or power, then we can just take the Holy Spirit and manipulate the Holy Spirit to what we need to do to accomplish our purpose and our ends. And that's how some people treat the Holy Spirit, right? Just just this power to be used to accomplish whatever I want. Whether it's selfish or or even if it's good, it's just this power to be manipulated. The illustration I thought of was electricity. And uh, JR, uh, my science might not be exact in this, but bear with me in this illustration. Right, We sometimes maybe treat the Holy Spirit like electricity. The electricity is just this power and and we manipulate it and we get it to where we want it so that we can use it for our purposes. And that's fine with electricity. Electricity doesn't care. But we wouldn't do that with a person, right? You wouldn't just take a person and just use them and manipulate them to your ends and your purposes. Even if it's... A worthy purpose, you wouldn't just manipulate and use a person to do that. You seek help from a person in a different way because you seek it through relationship. Let's say, for example, I wanted to build, maybe I want to build a deck at my house. And now I can pound in a nail and I can do some carpentry stuff, but I'm not going to go out back and just put up a deck by myself. So I know Bob George back there, he's one of our elders. He's been working construction for a long, long time. So if I want to build this deck, I'm maybe going to seek Bob's help. And how am I going to do that? I'm not just going to grab Bob and drag him to my house and be like, you have to help me. But again, sometimes that's kind of how we treat the Holy Spirit. Just come and help me and do what I want. But if I'm going to seek Bob's help, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to Bob and I'm going to say, hey Bob, I'd really like to build this deck. I I can't really do it myself. Would you please help me with it? I'm going to go to him in humility. I'm going to go to him in gratitude. Realizing I can't do this on my own. I need the expert to help me out. And then when Bob comes to my house, because Bob's a nice guy, he's going to come help me out. When Bob comes to my house to to help me build the deck and we're working on the deck and I look at what Bob's doing and I'm like, man, I I don't understand what he's doing there. I'm not going to go up to Bob and say, Bob, I know you've been working construction longer than I've been alive and you've forgotten more about carpentry than I'll ever know, but I don't understand what you're doing there so I think we should do it this other way. I'd be pretty dumb to do that, right? Bob's the expert. I'm just the grunt carrying wood for him. I'm going to submit and surrender to his expertise and his knowledge whether I understand what he's doing or not. And then finally, when the deck is done and I have people over, and they're like, man, this is an awesome deck you have here, I'm going to say, yeah, man, this deck is awesome. Yeah, Bob George designed it and helped me build it. He's a great carpenter. I'm going to praise Him for what He's done. And it's the same way when we relate to the Holy Spirit and we go to the Holy Spirit for help. We have to go to the Holy Spirit in humility, in gratitude, asking for His help. We need to surrender to the Holy Spirit as... God, the one who knows more about everything than I will ever know about anything, surrender to his expertise and his leading, whether we really understand what's going on or not. We trust that God does, that the Holy Spirit does, because he knows a whole lot more than us. And when we look back on our lives, and see the things that God has done in our lives and done through us and in the people around us, we praise God and we praise the Holy Spirit, not taking credit for ourselves, not saying, yeah, I really use God's power to do this, but saying, man, God really did something and God allowed me to be a part of that. You see the difference? That we go to the Holy Spirit not just as this power for us to use, but as, a person for us to relate to and build relationship with and seek help through and in. And then the the Holy Spirit is our present help. And the Holy Spirit does a ton of stuff in our life. We already talked about the Holy Spirit helping us to know more about who Jesus is and, and helping us to understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. The Holy Spirit convicts us of of sin and the things we shouldn't do and the things we should do, the Holy Spirit empowers us to go and to serve. And we could spend a whole month doing a series on just the different ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. But I just want to wrap up with one more passage that really talks about what is the end goal? What is the Holy Spirit really trying to accomplish in our lives? What is the end goal for which God has given us His presence in our lives today? Because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's really easy to get caught up in looking at the Holy Spirit to do all kinds of crazy physical miracles in our lives and in our world. And we can get so caught up in that physical stuff that we can miss what the real purpose of the Holy Spirit is. Uh, I had a, a guy told me the other day that uh, everybody knows who Kobe Bryant is, right? famous basketball player, passed away a couple weeks ago, or a month ago, or something like that now. Uh, but this guy offered that he would raise, he's, he's like a faith healer I guess, he would raise Kobe Bryant from the dead for just 10% of Kobe Bryant's wealth. Right, that would be pretty awesome if if He did that, but I don't really think that's the point of the Holy Spirit. To empower a guy to raise Kobe so he could make a bunch of money. But yet, we can get caught up sometimes in chasing after physical things from the Holy Spirit as well. We look at the Bible and we look at the Old Testament and there's all kinds of awesome stuff that the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament which... This is kind of another sermon for another day, but I believe those things that the Holy Spirit did in the Old Testament were for that time. The Holy Spirit was doing it then for those people at that time. And we look at what the Holy Spirit did in Jesus' time, in the time of the apostles, and again, I think the Holy Spirit was doing it in that time for those people for specific reasons for that time, not necessarily for us Today. But even if we look at stuff that the Bible's clear is for us today through the Holy Spirit, right? I'm up here speaking this morning because the Holy Spirit is giving me ability to speak and communicate. But if I get caught up in just chasing the Holy Spirit for the physical thing, if I'm pursuing the Holy Spirit to help me speak just so I can stand up here and sound eloquent and entertain you and have you think I'm an awesome speaker, then I'm missing what the Holy Spirit's really after. What the real point that the Holy Spirit is in our life is all about. Look at Galatians 5, and verse 22. Galatians 5, 22. Paul's going to lay out for us At the very bottom level, what is it that God has given us the Holy Spirit for? Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit is in our lives to produce, what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in us and in the people around us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that the reason God sent His presence with us till we're in God's presence again someday is so that we could grow in being more like God. So that we could grow in those characteristics that are listed there, the characteristics that we see exemplified in Jesus, the characteristics that are God's image placed in us that's been marred and messed up by sin that the Holy Spirit wants to heal and renew that make us more like Jesus. And wants to empower us to serve others and help others so that they can grow more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit can and has and and may in the future do some really crazy things in our physical world, but if the point of all of it is not that people would know Jesus more, that we would be more like Jesus, then it's not producing the fruit that God sent the Holy Spirit to produce. And so as you think about the Holy Spirit in your life, as you pursue the Holy Spirit's help in your life, what are you after? What do you want to see accomplished in yourself and in others around you? If I came in here this morning and I could do all kinds of crazy miracles and raise Kobe Bryant from the dead this morning, Right, that would be pretty cool and pretty awesome. And we'd probably pack out the war memorial for people to see me or see whatever. But even if we packed out the war memorial and people weren't growing and knowing Jesus more, if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in my life to help me be more like Jesus, then we really miss what the Holy Spirit's for. Are you seeking the Holy Spirit's help to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And so I want you to be encouraged this morning. Be excited this morning. God has given you His presence with you until someday when we're in God's presence again. That that is a present help in our life empowering us to do all kinds of awesome stuff in our relationship with God. Build that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Don't just look at it as a power to be grasped, but a person to know and a person to help and be with you. But ultimately, seek through the Holy Spirit to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Let me pray for us. Lord God, Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for uh, this time here. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We thank You for excuse me, what that means in our life. Lord God, we just thank You for Your presence with us, Lord God. We thank You that You want to work in us and You want to grow us, Lord God. And uh, Father, it's easy for us to get distracted just on physical things. Lord God, whether that be physical things that the the world throws at us or uh, even maybe physical things that we we try and pursue through spiritual means, Lord God, but ultimately, Lord, we want to grow in You and we want to know You more, Lord God. We want to be more like You. And so I, I pray that You would help us to be people that have those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.